What up, what up? Welcome back to the There's More podcast. My name is Hannah Nitz. I'm your host who's always talking about the more, the more of God. I've loved God my whole life. I've been a Christian, but man, two years ago, God just blew my socks off. Just introduced me and opened my eyes to the fact that there was more for me. Do you ever feel like you've kind of heard all the stories, you know all the lessons, you're not like completely shocked by something your pastor says? (laughs) I just felt like I had experienced and known most of what I had access to in God. And friends, this beautiful secret that I just won't shut up about is that there's always more. There's more for you in your relationship with God, whether you've known him for a day or 10 decades. And that's what this podcast is all about, is your personal interactive relationship with God. So today I've assembled a team. Uh, You'll hear from Laura Veal, Noelle Beck, and myself. The three voices you hear most often on the podcast. And we're each going to share one thing that we learned this year. One takeaway, one big thing that we would say, man, this is something that God taught me in 2020. So you'll hear from each of us. Uh, I'm going to kick it off, then I'll pass it on to Noelle Beck and wrap it up with Laura Veal. So here are some lessons that we all learned this year. Here we go. So the question of what did you learn in 2020 is a funny thing to do a podcast episode on for me because essentially, dear podcast listener, you know a lot of what I've learned or you've heard a lot of it anyway because the There's More podcast launched March 1st, 2020. And all 27 episodes that I've done so far have really been little pieces of the more that I've tasted, that I've experienced, that I've learned with God uh, all in this year, like just in those past, whatever that is, nine months, you've been with me, you've processed, you've heard a lot of this. You've heard me talk about neutral things, not being neutral and changing how I read the Bible, this mind blowing concept of eternal life, of desiring God more than doing for him, of rethinking quiet time, of God quenching our thirst, of becoming hungry from God, of retreat days, of idolatry, of pursuing ourselves. And man, there's been so much this year that I've loved learning, experiencing, and then talking with you all about. Like that's the whole point of the podcast was to share these lessons along the way. But as I've looked through the journals that I kept this year and the books of the Bible that I've read, There's one thought that I kept coming back to. So if I had to boil it down, my lesson, my summary, my standout sentence from my time with God in the year 2020 is that everything God has, he shares with us. Everything God has, he shares with us. It's like every lesson I learned Everything you heard me talk about the past 27 episodes somehow boiled down to this sentence this year. Like, I never realized how much of God I had access to. I would have always said that God loves me, that he gave his son's life for me, that he sacrificed for me, 
I would have said like, well, I get his righteousness, right? Like he um, forgives me. He like gives me this. And then I get filled with, you know, like the fruit of the spirit. And then we carry on. (laughs) But I had no idea that there was so much more of God that I get. So much more that God was sharing. So much more of him that I could have access to. So much more of God that I could intimately know and experience and relate to and embody. Everything God has, sweet listener, he shares with you. So as I looked through my journals and kind of all these things that I've been writing down and lessons that I've been learning, I noticed seven different things that I uh, saw throughout reading the Bible that God has that he shares. So as quickly as I can, (laughs) because that's the downside of sharing your microphone with other people is you can't just babble on as long as you want because you know your girl can talk. There were these seven things I saw that I was like, man, God, you have this and you share this with me. So for each of these seven things, I'm just going to share a few of the verses that um, stood out to me, a few of the verses that God used to teach me each of these things. Now, each of these seven things could be their own episode, but I'm going to give you a just quick and hot lesson here. So (laughs) number one, himself. God shares himself with us. Check out Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, where it talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts. And the more that we understand his love, the height, the death, the length of it, it then says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah, you heard that. Not just like you just get God's grace, you just get his righteousness, you just get his forgiveness, the fullness of him. Everything God has, he shares. He shares himself. In 1 Peter 3, this is talked about. Peter is saying, For Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. What? (laughs) Like this whole story that we talk about with the gospel and with Jesus, it's so that he brings us to God, that we have access to God. Like God shares all of himself with us. Ephesians 2 talks about this as well. Um, Verse 18, it says, through him, through Jesus, we have our access in one spirit to the Father. Like we have access just like Jesus does through the spirit to the father. So number one, what does God have that he shares with us? Him. It says we have access to the fullness of him. It says that we, man, are brought to God, that we have access in one spirit to the father. Woo. And that is I mean, just a beginning taste of this more we talk about so much on the podcast that once we begin to understand how much more there is to God, that God shares himself with us. Number two, everything God has he shares with us is his status. 
I just read this verse just a couple days ago as I was preparing for Christmas. Um, and man, a, a quality of Christmas that really stood out to me this year was this idea of humility, like God's ultimate picture of humility and becoming a man and coming to earth to be just made fun of and spit on and questioned and then killed for our sake. Like just this ultimate picture of humility. And I ran into this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 that I don't think I've ever read before. So what does God have that he shares with us? Number two is his status. Again, 2 Corinthians 8 says it so beautifully. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, sweet listener, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Man, what did he share with us? His status. He was rich and we were poor. So then he became poor so that we could become rich. Guys, that's insane. <laughs> like, it's not just like, oh, he was really rich and he took a few steps down from like creator of the universe to like king of the world, you know, just a small demotion so that he could just lift us up a few steps from like worthless human being to like somewhat useful human being. No, no. It was a complete swap. Everything God has, he shares. When he's rich, he literally gives that up so that we become rich. He shares it with us. The third thing I saw this year that God shares with us is his glory. Woo, this is just, I mean, this is a whole, a whole thing I just want to <laughs> dive into. Guys, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so that's amazing. So there, he's talking about how we become literally children of God, like heirs in the line and the family and the lineage of God. Well, let's keep reading what it says. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. God's glory is just his overall, overwhelming, all-consuming, incredible, better than anything, goodness. All that he is, all of his power and might and spirit and amazingness, bodied into one word is his glory. So in this verse, it's saying that as we become co-heirs with Jesus, like heirs in God's family, we also get to share in his glory. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about this concept as well. It says that we want to give thanks because God chose us to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit. And then this last sentence is a doozy. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of Jesus. Wow, this isn't just like, so you don't go to hell, or like, so you're not such a messy person, or like, so maybe you behave a little better and tell other people about Jesus and raise good kids and have good families. 
and, you know, be okay and make it to heaven. (laughs) It's like, man, we were chosen by God. He shares his gospel with us, not just so we make it by, but that we obtain his glory. We are invited to be a part of his glory and revealing of his glory. Like, isn't that wild? Just sit and think about that for a hot second. God, the creator of all things, can literally choose to reveal himself and his glory in any way possible. You could wake up tomorrow and it could be written in the sky. He could literally like have a screen come down in the middle of the heavens and just tell the story of him and school everyone on like, yeah, God is real and here he is and here I am and this is what happened. But how does he reveal himself? We've talked about through his word. That's a huge way we get to know him. But man, when you start to read what he shares with us, you realize that we reveal his glory. Like we are a part of showing the world the incredibleness of God. This is what we get to be a part of. Woo! And this is why it's crazy, guys. Everything God has, he shares with you. His glory. Man, whoo. Well, if that is a little too jazzed up and you need to tone it down a tad. (laughs) The fourth thing he shares with us is the harder side of that. It says that he shares his suffering. Man, I've been reading through 1st and 2nd Peter. And when I got to 1st Peter 4, this just stopped me in my tracks. Verse 12 through 13 says, hey, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised, but rejoice because inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So kind of like that verse that we just talked about in Romans, like, Through experiencing his suffering and being a part of his suffering, we actually get to experience his glory in a whole new way. But coming back to this point number four of God sharing his suffering with us, man, the thought of that and just reading this in 1 Peter 4 was so uh, heavy but inviting to me. That is, Peter's talking about these hard things, these fiery trials, these difficult situations that I go through, that you go through, that our families go through, that people we love go through. He's not just like, hey, hard things happen, but, you know, you get to know God through them. It says that we participate in the suffering of Christ. Like, we literally get to know God differently Not just because things are hard, but because we're sharing, like pictured arm in arm linking. We are literally sharing and experiencing the same suffering, the same uh, difficulty that Christ did. Like everything God has, he shares with us not only these good, beautiful, world-shaking things, but also these difficult things that redeem us and teach us about him. Like, just like a good parent does. I watch this with my husband and our two-year-old. Like, Harvey, my two-year-old, 
gets access to everything we have. <laughs> like in parenting, everything you have, you share with your kids. Like your life, your home, your time, your money, like so much. But in this goodness that we share with Harvey, there's also difficulty. There's also discipline. There's also things he's got to work through and figure out being a part of our family and knowing our rules and structure and what's important to us. And that's a light comparison. But this passage in 1 Peter 4, man, God even shares his suffering with us. Number five of everything God has, he shares with us his mind. Do you remember this verse in 1 Corinthians 2? For who has understood the mind of the Lord's as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Oh, man. Not just like if we pray really, really hard, we might have clarity on something. It's like, no. Everything he has, he shares. Like literally his mind, his spirit, his way of thinking. We have access to that. God shares that with us. Number six, God shares his seat. I did an episode with uh, some of this conversation in April. I think I named it something like one word that changed my relationship with God. And I talked about these two verses in Ephesians that just um, really gave me this different perspective on what God invites us into and shares with us. Ephesians 1.20 talks about the relationship between God and Jesus. And it says that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the his right hand in the heavenly places. Like the seat of authority, the seat next to God in the heavenly realms of all just authority and relationship and this unity. But then just a few verses later in Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, it's talking about our relationship with God. And it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are given that same seat, that same seat at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, hanging out with God and Jesus. Like, This is a beautiful picture of everything God has. He shares with us, even his seat of authority, even this beautiful union between him and Jesus that we are invited into that same seat. And the seventh thing, the last thing that God has that he shares with us is his work and his plans. Guys, In every story that I have read in the Bible this year, in everything I see in his word, over and over again, I am blown away that he invites us into his work and his plans. Every story is about God's glory, God's purpose, but every story involves everyday, normal, boring humans. Like, have you thought about that? This year with Christmas, it blew me away. I was reading in Matthew and in Luke about the story of Jesus and Christmas and just the beauty of this. And I'm like, man, how like God had this plan to send Jesus to the world to fulfill prophecies, to take care of our sin and to restore our relationship with God. 
How did he do it? A lot of people. Like, he speaks to Zechariah about the future and tells him that his son John will turn people to the Savior and will prepare the way. He gets Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist. He speaks to Mary. He uses the Holy Spirit to conceive Jesus inside of Mary. He speaks to Joseph and shares the plan of his son coming. He appears to the shepherds and has them there to worship Jesus and to confirm that this is him. He reveals the birth of Jesus to regular wise men. And then he warned these same wise men in a dream not to tell Herod what was going on. He told a guy named Simeon that he would see the Savior before he died. And then when Jesus at 12 years old walks into the temple, Simeon stands and calls this man Savior. And he instilled a confidence even in Jesus' parents that this is the Son of God. Sure enough, John the Baptist comes along and prepares the crowds and invites people in, preparing them for Jesus, just as was prophesied before he was born, that their king was coming. And then, friends, the ministry of Jesus begins. Through all of these everyday people, through God using and speaking to and inviting in Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, even Herod, Simeon, John the Baptist, like through God, like God did this work through everyday people. And then as Jesus' ministry begins, again and again, every interaction, every lesson, every miracle, every healing involved everyday people. Like the God of the universe has his plans and his work and he shares them with us with everyday people. And this is true for you. This is true for your life and your family and your friends and where you work. Like there is such purpose in where God has you and what he is accomplishing, not for your sake, but for his. But he uses you and invites you into his work. Everything God has, he shares with us. Next up, we'll be hearing from my girl, Noelle Beck. Hello, friends. Thanks, Hannah, for asking the question, what have I learned this year? Uh, This is actually a really hard question in some ways for me uh, because I think I've learned a lot and some of that has been like deep diving Uh, into scripture and into understanding the word faith and prayer and the Bible. And um, I have an eight-page document of all these things that I was learning and growing in over the summer. Um, But honestly, the thing that I feel like I want to talk about the most is not kind of this deep theological study, but just kind of the whole reason of the more for the podcast. Um, I know every time you invite me to have a, this conversation, Hannah, I always talk about how much I love this title because there really is more with God and it's genuinely so good. And so um, as we're wrapping up this year, I have had a crazy 2020. Obviously, everybody has with COVID and just kind of the world shifting in so many different ways. Um 
But I've also had so much joy in 2020. Um, And so that's a little bit what I want to talk about. So some of you who are listening know my backstory. Um, My husband and I really struggled with kids and infertility for a really long time. So um, we had been married 15 years by the time we had officially found out that we were infertile. We kind of had suspected it for a while. Um, We had attempted some other routes of um, fostering and adoption and some of those doors closed. And then uh, we were pursuing adoption and I miraculously get pregnant. So I'm told by the doctor I have a 3% chance of getting pregnant. And all of a sudden in 2015, in March, I realize I am pregnant. And after kind of a rocky road of just infertility and everything else, this was joyous and felt honestly miraculous. Um, And so for those of you who know my story, um, it has a sad ending, which... Sometimes we don't expect sometimes in in regards to God, like this felt like miraculous and I get pregnant and um, just days after his due date, he uh, isn't moving and I end up having a stillbirth and it was devastating. It was devastating for a lot of reasons, obviously, um, our anticipation of that. Uh, we had a whole community kind of uh, behind us, supporting us, encouraging us, um, in this journey. And so everybody kind of thought like, this is the miracle God is giving. And if anybody has, uh, heard me talk about this, really, it was a gift. Like God gave me the ability to have, to be pregnant. And there was a lot of good that came out of that season, even though the ending was horrible. And we can admit that the ending was horrible, Again, God really prepared me in a lot of ways for that. And so at the end of it, uh, I could still say like God is good and God is for me. This is really hard and confusing, but God is good and God is for me. So anyways, uh, fast forward a handful of years, Tim and I have a conversation where we know we still want kids, but because of uh, grief and trauma and some of our past like attempts, we were trigger shy for sure. We just were in a space of like, we want to, but essentially we're scared. And we were able to articulate that to each other and ultimately to God. And we kind of said that, God, we want to have kids, but you're going to have to make this happen because <laughs> it just felt impossible in so many ways uh, and terrifying in a lot more ways. And so we pull back and essentially say, like, God, you're going to have to do this. And and he did. Um, one Sunday morning in 2019, we get a phone call that a friend of ours, his, his friend, um, is a grandparent to a little 15-month-old baby. Uh, and they are... Um, just in a place where they didn't feel like it was best for the child to for them to raise him, and would we have some interest in potentially uh, fostering to adopt him? And so he was officially in the foster care system, and we said yes. So we built a relationship with this little guy with the hopes of becoming his foster parents. Uh, COVID really slowed all of that down for a handful of reasons. Um, one of the main ones just being it slowing down the court system. 
And therefore, we were 15 months in of knowing him and engaging him uh, just relationally with his grandparents um, and still him not being placed with us. So we're 15 months in and now we get another phone call, which is shocking um, because you you really get one. Now you get two. Uh, And again, it's uh, my cousin's husband and his sister is having a little baby girl. Uh, in a couple months and would we have any interest in adopting her and uh, we took a minute to make sure that we felt like we could handle both children well um, and we said yes so finally on November 6th uh, the little boy who is two and a half gets placed with us and this is the joy we have built relationship with him we just absolutely love and adore him And we now officially get to be his foster parents. So we're still waiting to know if we will end up getting to adopt him. But right now we are just thrilled to get to have him in our home full time. That following Thursday, we get a phone call that the little baby girl is born. Uh, It was still up in the air at this point whether we were going to be able to be the ones who got to adopt her. Um, But we were still hopeful that God was going to open that door. Um... And he did. So a handful of days later, we finally get to meet her in the hospital. Adopt her exactly two weeks after the little guy had been placed with us through the foster care system. She now comes home as our daughter and we have adopted her and her name is Trinity. And so now we are thrown uh, into the deep end of parenting two kids in two weeks and we are in it, which is fun and exciting and wearing and all of the things that come with it. So We are thrilled. So what did I learn this year? What is the point of this story? Uh, One, God is good. God is for us. And God is good and God is for us even had these kids not come to us. And I I really wholeheartedly know that and believe that. God is not good now because we have two kids. God was good whether we got two kids or not. And so it was just out of his loving kindness that he did that. And we do really genuinely see it as a gift. Uh, things are overall going really well. The kids are attaching. They like each other. They like us. Um, things are going well between Tim and I. I mean, I could tell you a thousand positive things. But here's what I want to tell you. A handful of days after everybody came home to us, it was probably a week, honestly, and I finally make it to my prayer room. So if you've heard me talk on this podcast at all, you know I have a prayer room. I love it. It's where I find time with God. So about a week after these kids come into our home, I finally make it to the prayer room. And let me just tell you, it is the most satisfying thing. And it shouldn't, it didn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise me. I know that God is ultimately satisfying. But in some ways, now I have have these two kids and things are going really well. They're doing well. Tim and I are doing well. Like, this is it. We have arrived at what we've been desiring for a really long time. For years and years. We've been married for 20 years now. Um, and here we are. And yet, in all reality, the most deeply satisfying thing is still God. And I know that. And I know that to be true. And I knew that to be true. But even in that moment, I was still a little taken back. Like, man, it's still really true. Like, there is nothing more satisfying than time with him. And so I go into my prayer room after a week of having these kids and this new life. 
and I go to Psalm 63, which I love, and it's just about our earnest desire for God. And so I'm going to just read a first few verses of it. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. There's just this deep yearning in my whole being. I have these kids. I'm doing all these things. I'm connecting with people relationally and I'm so happy about this new season of life. And yet I go to the prayer room and I recognize, man, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to this intimacy with God. It's nothing compared to what God offers and the satisfaction that he brings. Now, let me be really clear because I was having a conversation with some friends last night. And as we were talking about it, sometimes when I talk about the prayer room or I talk about these experiences, the temptation is to think like, Time alone with God is a 10 out of 10, 100% of the time. That's not true. Uh, since that first time in the prayer room, I've been quite a few times. I've finally got it back into my rhythm of life. And it is deeply satisfying, but it doesn't always mean it's this super warm, fuzzy experience. Sometimes I'm still crying in the prayer room because I'm feeling overwhelmed or life is hard or we were also grieving. So I talked about how my son died at birth, Enoch and we grieved his five-year anniversary of his life and death in the midst of it. So we get these kids on the 20th, on the 6th and the 20th of November. And then on December 8th, I'm grieving the loss of my son. And that joy that they bring does not offset the grief of my son not being here. And so I talk a ton about the joy and the sorrow could coexist but one does not offset the other. And there's probably a small part of me that thought that that would be true. Like, this is going to be hard, but but I have this joy now. And let me tell you, my the, the deep loss is still there. I still grieved as hard and in some ways differently and more than I have in the past. Um, but the joy is there as well. So very grateful that we now have these two kids. So... Anyway, so going to the prayer room, yes, there's this moment of deep satisfaction, but it doesn't mean that it's warm and fuzzy and I feel good 100% of the time. It means I just feel the connection with God and the, the peace that he offers and the satisfaction that he offers. And that's really real. That's not just some cr- cheesy Christian statement. That's that's true. Uh, just a couple weeks later, as I was reading and um, Psalm 39, another Psalm, I have three for you today. And it said, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Essentially, like, what else do I have? Like, you're it. And in some ways, that's how I feel. The more of God, the intimacy with him, the relationship with him is more deeply satisfying than any other single thing I have experienced on life. Marriage, family, kids, my Jeep Wrangler, any, you know, the joy of life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy life. I enjoy vacations. I enjoy adventure. I enjoy all those things. But nothing, nothing, nothing is as deeply satisfying as God. And as much as I could communicate that and have communicated that, 
it was that much more evident once I brought these kids home. And in some ways, this was something we've been longing for for a long time. And we got it. And believe me, they are absolutely adorable. And they are as bring as much joy as I could possibly imagine. But they're still not as satisfying as relationship with God. In Psalm 1611, this has been one of my favorites for a really long time. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Man, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That is a thousand percent true. Again, it's not always warm and fuzzy and I walk away feeling like life is fantastic or perfect. No, but that that intimacy with God, that time with him, my soul, my being long so deeply for it. And no matter how good life is, no matter how many things we get, no matter how many good gifts, even from God that come to us, the thing that is absolutely the most satisfying is intimacy and relationship with him. It's time with him. And I think I knew it. I think I've known it. I think I've logically known it. I think I've experienced it. But in some ways, this has been like the pinnacle. Like, and people have watched this story unfold where we were, you know, again, and that's why I told you our history in the beginning, 15 years, and then we get pregnant, and then he dies at birth, and then we've had this kind of five years of grieving. And now this is picture perfect, right? You can't make a Hallmark movie like this. We get two kids right before Christmas. This is awesome. And guess what? It's still not as satisfying as my intimate relationship with God. And that's my reminder. And it's not because I'm spiritual. It's not because I'm an introvert. It's not because I'm just more Jesus-y than you. This is what God desires and offers for every single person he's in relationship with. He wants intimate relationship with you. He loves and adores you. And he wants you to experience the fullness that he has for you in relationship with him. And so there is more. And it is so deeply satisfying. And that's my encouragement. Nothing else really will fulfill as much as God. So whatever you're seeking towards, whether that's an accomplishment or achievement or a life stage or a physical thing or a new house or vacation home, whatever you are striving for, I promise you, it will never be as deeply satisfying as intimate relationship with God. And lastly, you will be hearing a lesson from 2020 from Laura Veal. So Hannah asked me to share one thing that um, God taught me this year. And I was a little overwhelmed by the task at first. Because if honestly, if you get inside my head, there are a gazillion thoughts swirling all at once. Almost all of the time. Um... But this morning, I pulled out my journal from this past year, and I just flipped through the pages. And I continued to notice three words that were over and over. They were just filling the pages. So those three words are what I'm going to share and hopefully challenge and encourage all of you with um, in, in the way that they challenged and encouraged me this past year. Honestly, it, it's not going to be anything new. If you've heard me ramble before, then you've heard this message as an underlying tone. Um, and honestly, that's just kind of reflecting the fact that this was the lesson of the last year that God just continued to cement in my, in my heart and in my mind. Um, 
And embarrassingly, I think when I say the three words, it's probably going to be like, huh, that's it. But uh, yeah, it's what I got. It's what God gave me. It's been a huge lesson, both in understanding and in application this past year. And um, I've shared it with most of the people who would give me an ear. So um, yeah, here it is. We get God. That's it. I'll say it again. Friends, we get God. I must have written that or shared that or prayed that about a dozen, no, dozens and dozens of times over the past year because 2020 has been full of a gazillion challenges. We know them. Personally, like many of us, I've had plenty of challenges beyond COVID. Um, Some days, even weeks, have felt like an emotional roller coaster ride. And sometimes the easiest thing to do uh, is numb out. When I get stressed, my body copes by, um, it, it triggers sleep. So multiple times this past year, I have just felt exhausted. Um, I lost a patient to COVID in the operating room and I just came home and crashed like my body tanked. I just felt like it's just, it's too much, God. I had um, relational strain with my absolute best friends and ugh, I can't even deal, God. I cannot deal. I want to hibernate. I want to hide under a blanket. I want to just play Hallmark movies. It's too much. I had um, ministry opportunities that uh, were all kind of happening all at the same time. And it was so overwhelming. And in the busyness amidst raising three kids and working and just pursuing God on my own in this season of uncertainty, it just felt like too much. And I wanted to shut down. I wanted to check out. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. Uh, this lifelong pursuit of God is not meant to be confused with striving in our own doing. Rest is good. Rest is biblical. In fact, I wish I could actually be speaking on what God has taught me about rest, but it's something that he's currently teaching me, and I have a lot to learn. But yes, 2020 has been hard, right? And how easy it is to let a necessity for rest turn into apathy toward our access to God. I'll say it a different way. How easy is it to let the gift of rest and the comfort that God blesses us with become the refuge that we turn to from the war that is raging around us? One bad night with a glass of wine then and Netflix, it turns into two. And then three, or a couple of mornings of sleeping in. That's okay. Um, but after a couple mornings of, of choosing to, to do that instead of getting on our knees before God or diving into his word, suddenly that turns into a week or, or a month. And all the while, our emotions are just compounding on each other. I mean, it's not helping. Our minds are more worn. Our souls feel deflated. And unfortunately, when we look around at the people we do life with, the ones who don't know God, we see how this plays out. I don't know about you, but I see stress bringing out ugly sides to people and and weariness and hopelessness being what they're speaking of. And and I see poor habits being formed and I see poor decisions being made and, and just these futile pursuits that amount to nothing. But let's be real. It's not just the people who don't know God. It's all of us. I don't have it in front of me, but 
um, I can recall a journal entry that I wrote. Um, this would have been back in the summer. And I wrote something along the lines of like, I've drank more wine and margaritas in the last two weeks than ever before. Mind you, still not heavy on these things. But I remember writing, I, I've watched more TV. I've checked out more because I'm just exhausted and I see no end in sight. And I remember following that up with like, but no surprise. I feel like crap. I feel so lousy, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And this is where um, I write those three, or I wrote those three words. It's like in all caps, bold. I get God. And so what am I wasting my time on with these futile things? And, and I remember writing, I know you're not mad at me, God, but I'm still so sorry. And I'm ready to get back in the fight. So these three words, I get God, or sometimes I would write, we get God, whatever it was, this became my battle cry. When things got overwhelming, I just picture someone pounding on their chest and saying, I get God and that is what I'm going to take hold of. And I would just, I'd wake up from my stupor and I would repeat this reality over and over and I'd write it down. I'd journal about it. I'd tell my friends, I would just dive into his word. I'd read, I'd read the scriptures that I'm going to share. I'd tape them to my mirror. I would take my grumpy self to the basement and I would just blare worship music and I would get on my knees and praise him with every broken part of me. And I would fight to reorient back to him and around him. And because he, he's life, he is freedom. He is hope. And I get that. We get that. That means everything. So let's see the, the verse that amplified this message for me. Let me read that for you. Um, one of the verses is Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11 through 13. So it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, um, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I love how the message says it. So let me read that. Um, It says, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you were outsiders to God's ways. You had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works. You hadn't the faintest idea of Christ." You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. I love that. I love that so much. I hope that is like speaking to you. Those words speak so clearly to this reality for my life. The rea- This reality that should change everything because we get God and we get God because he brought us in. What did the verse say? It said, through Christ, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything now. 
if you uh, if you listen to the recent podcast Hannah posted um, of a teaching of mine from from the There's More class, you heard me unpack the single most transforming truth in my life from the past few years, and that's that that my access to God has nothing to do with me. Um, it's a long story, you know. I I always thought God owed me something because because I chose you, God. So you you know, there's got to be some like something you reciprocate as, as a result of that. You owe me something. Um, but Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And then later in Scripture, in, in John 6, it says, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Friends, I didn't come to God on my own. I did not go from an enemy of God, hostile to him, as um, uh, Romans 8 describes uh, us in our flesh, I didn't go from that to a lover of him and a lover of his ways. He did that in my life. I didn't do that. He put in my soul a desire for him. He owes me nothing because he already gave me everything. When he took me from his far off hostile enemy to what I am now, his beloved child that he has so much promise and eternal hope for, and it's unshakable. I mean, it's insane. I get God, the creator of everything, the one with absolute control over 2020. Nothing that has happened or will happen is slipping by him. I feel, I feel like I'm digressing. Okay, the point is, God made this such a profound anchor for me this past year. When things felt overwhelming, I would read Ephesians 2 and I would remind myself, I get God. He brought me in. And because of that, unlike my friend who my heart breaks for because they don't know God yet, they are lost. Despite everything I try to tell them, they just, he hasn't opened their eyes. They haven't, they haven't received him yet. So they are lost, but I am not lost. Like Ephesians 2 says, I know the way that God works. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I know this. I don't just know it cognitively. I know this in my heart. I know of his unfailing love and his faithfulness toward his people. I know of his perfect control. I know of his promises. So I have hope and I am with God. I get God in this world, in this fight. And reminding myself of that has reminded me to live like it. Not just in my mind, but in my action. Because the enemy, he loves when stress leads me to just go to bed early night after night. Or he loves when frustration turns me to vegging out or wine or food or whatever over and over. Because he knows he's winning the battle when we forget who we have. We have God. We get God. It's just, it's like the most incredible, astounding, defining thing of our lives. And yet sometimes I struggle to live like it. You know, God, he was pressing this on me, certainly not to shame me. It wasn't, um, you know, because I get God, I can't be anxious or grumpy. And it doesn't mean that circumstances don't suck because sometimes they do. And when they do, as humans, we are not invincible. I'm very aware of this. Even with God, even as sold out followers of Christ, we still feel the feels. We still feel the struggle. And 
while everyone else around us is is feeling these same things, stress, anger, hurt, fear, whatever it is, the question is though for us, what do we do about it? And the lesson for me, the anchor that I held on to was that I get God. So I have access to freedom from anxiety. It's not that I don't have anxiety. I have access to the freedom to get through it. So instead of relying on my own solutions for pain or worry or whatever challenges I'm facing or I faced in last year, I get to fall before the one who is in control of it all. And friends, not everyone has that. He gave that to me. He gave me access to his glorious presence during this vapor of of a life. He He drew me to him. He put that desire in me to even have interest. I was once far off, but he brought me near. Psalm 5, it's one of my favorites. Um, It can be a little dicey if you're unfamiliar with it, Um, but let me just explain what it means to me. It reminds me of the fact that one, our God is perfect and holy. Um, The Bible says elsewhere that he dwells in unapproachable light. So as Psalm 5 makes so clear, we in our depravity, we have no business being in God's presence. Psalm 5 says, God is not pleased with wickedness. It says that evil people are not welcome. And y'all, that is me. That's you and me in our flesh. Without his spirit in our lives, that is us. We are evil people and we are not welcome. It says the arrogant cannot stand in God's presence. Like I said, we have no business being in the presence of a great, big, powerful, holy, sovereign, perfect God. But then you get to verse seven, and this is the sweetest truth. It says, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. Some translations say by your mercy. Notice it doesn't say, but I, because I'm not evil and I'm better than all the rest. No, it says, That while I was all these things, evil, arrogant, wicked, hostile to God, you did the thing that brought me in. It is by your great love, by your great mercy that I am brought in. So like Ephesians 2 in the message says, I was once out of it altogether and now I'm in on it all. I once did not have you and now I have you. Just like so many people in the world living without God, living lost and without hope and without truth, that is not our story. We get God. We can come into his presence. We can orient around him when the world is spinning because he gave us that access. He gave us himself undeservedly. So that should drastically alter my life and your life. It doesn't guarantee rainbows and butterflies. In fact, the more with God does not mean that life gets easy. The more with God means that my eyes are opened and I'm in on the fight now. That's why I call those three words my battle cry. But God giving himself to me guarantees that I'm never alone. It guarantees that I always have hope. It guarantees that truth and freedom is always before me. Because of his anointing, my mind can recognize that he is the one in control and I can live in that freedom. Not everyone can recognize that. That is a spirit-led reality that God has given us. 
And, and, and so it means that his spirit in us makes it so his word, the scriptures come alive. Because again, anyone can read the Bible. Anyone that can read, they can read the Bible. But for us, those of us with God, his spirit turns the words of the Bible into anchored truth in our soul. So y'all, when the world is shut down, when jobs are at risk, when homeschooling leaves a stress to the max, when people are sick and grief is overwhelming and demands of life seem impossible, when deadlines are approaching and disappointments are piling up, marriages are strained, um, the kids are struggling emotionally and mentally, when I am struggling emotionally and mentally, I get God. He gave me the choice. He gave us the choice to do this with him or without him. The one who dwells in unapproachable light chose to invite me and you into his presence, into his hope, into his understanding, into his freedom from spiraling amidst everything going on around us. Are you tracking with me? Like this is the most defining thing of our lives. So it's the reality that I have fought to remain anchored by. It's hard fought, but it's beautiful. It, it is challenging, but it is so encouraging to my soul. And I hope it can be that for you too. I hope it's something that you can take with you into 2021, just like I am. We get God. Our motto, our battle cry against complacency and numbing out and just turning to our own solutions and our anchor moving forward. Happy New Year, friends. Everything God has, he shares with us. God is the most satisfying even when you have it all. And we get God. Friends, those were our biggest takeaways from 2020, and we would love to hear yours. Just head to hannahnitz.com and click on say hello and send us a message or send it over on Facebook. Just uh, shoot us a note and say, what was your biggest lesson in 2020? How have you begun to experience the more of God? What did that look like for you? Friends, the whole reason we do this is we just want you to taste it. I just, I want you to experience, friend, this thing that we're talking about and longing for and rejoicing in. The fact that in our relationship with God, there is more.